Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here. Welcome to a special edition of Prophecy Today, a Thanksgiving weekend. We hope and pray that you and your family and friends had a wonderful Thanksgiving day together and spent time thanking the Lord for all the blessings that indeed he bestows upon us on a daily basis. We're going to do the program just a bit different this week. No real hard news, but we're going to talk to our normal broadcast partners. Plus, in addition to that, Paul Blair, who used to play NFL football with the Chicago Bears, now pastor in Edmond, Oklahoma, he's going to talk about the pilgrims arriving and then the very first Thanksgiving. We'll also be talking with Dave Kessler. Dave has a ministry, Hope to the Hill. He's going to report that there are many Christians in places of high position and authority. That's going to be something to give thanks to the Lord for. But first, we're going to the first of our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, who normally covers geopolitical events happening in the world. But I just want to talk with Ken. This man is unbelievable. He's not only an international journalist traveling all over the world, he is a New York Times bestseller as an author of many books. And Ken, I'm excited about being able to talk to you. I want to find out some things about your latest novel entitled Election Heist. Now, this is a novel that is basically written foretelling what is happening at this time in the United States. But you just did not write this last week. It was a couple of weeks or months or how long ago did you actually sit down to start writing this book, Election Heist? Well, I actually wrote the book last year in 2019. And it was completed by uh, Christmas time, and ultimately uh, the publisher had finished all the copy edits and everything by February. The book was published in August, three months ahead of the election, and so many things from the election heist have been playing out right before our eyes. It's certainly been unfolding exactly like that. Tell me, where'd you get the idea, the idea of putting this type of a book together? Did you have some inside information? Well... To start with, I was myself a congressional candidate. I was the Republican nominee in 2012 in a Maryland district. Now, that was a heavily Democrat district. The Democrats didn't need to cheat there. It was a 65-35 district, and yet they did, and we caught them cheating. We also saw in that 2012 election problems with the touchscreen voting machines uh, where people would put in uh, Romney and it would turn out to be Obama again and again and again. And we did a post-election audit of some of these machines and found really serious problems. Well, that sort of piqued my interest. And I began, remember, this is 2012, I began to investigate uh, the whole issue of uh, security and our voting machines, uh, the electronic voting machines. And what I discovered was that this is just a mess. You can't trust any of them. Uh, There were studies going back to 2002, 10 years before my election, 18 years ago, uh, done by a national nuclear lab of these voting machines, the touchscreen machines, and they found that they could be hacked within a minute, and the results altered. So now you have a new generation of machines, and I looked into them as well, these these so-called ballot marking devices. They are what are used in Georgia. And the ballot marking devices produce a paper ballot 
uh, you, you select on the screen who you're going to vote for. Then they produce a paper ballot, and you hand that ballot to the election official who puts it in the sc- scanner. Well, studies have shown that nobody really looks at that paper ballot after it's been printed up. They saw it was on the screen. They saw their choices on the screen, and they print it out, and they going, okay, whatever, and they hand it to the guy. And so there is no way of knowing whether that paper ballot itself actually corresponds to the choice of the voter. So these were all things that I discovered as I was uh, researching with the election heist, but there's a lot more, Jimmy. There's a lot more. Well, you know, we're watching this unfold in real time right now. My question, your book, of course, is a novel. My question, are we going to really ever know the truth about this recent presidential election and all those ballots down ballot as well? Well, we may not. And, and the reason is because the Democrats got wise for this election. They realized that the big security in the election, and I talk about this in the election heist, is the paper ballot. In places where you have paper ballots, if they hack the software, in principle, you should be able to find that out by doing a manual recount of the paper ballots. But they just did one in Georgia, and they didn't find enormous discrepancies, certainly not enough discrepancies to be able to change the outcome of that election, and it was subsequently certified. What I think happened, and I think it's very clear for a number of different reasons, but I think what happened is that uh, around 10 o'clock at night, on election night, the Democrats realized when they saw the results in Miami-Dade County in Florida, where Trump had just won 200,000 votes more than they anticipated. This was a Democrat county, and Trump won 200,000 more votes than they anticipated. They realized they were going to lose Florida and lose it big. Their pre-election algorithm of votes, and this is an algorithm that is that they plug into the Dominion voting systems and other electronic machines, their pre-election algorithm was wrong. They said, and I've written this in an article, you can find this at my website, kentimmerman.com, they said the day before the election, they gave a briefing to reporters on Zoom. And that briefing, you can still go access it, and I've got a link to it. They said that for Trump to be able to make up the deficit in votes that Biden was winning in the early voting, in the mail-in voting, he had to win more than 60% on Election Day. Well, guess what? In Pennsylvania, on Election Day, Trump was winning 69%. In other states, it was 64, 65 percent. Trump was way outperforming what the Democrats had projected, projected him to do. And any vote switching that they might have done before the election was not enough. So what they had to do was stop the count. And we know that they did this. Where? In Atlanta, in Milwaukee, in Philadelphia, in Detroit. You know, around about 2 o'clock in the morning, they stopped counting the votes. They told the Republican poll watchers, go on home. Everybody's tired. Come on back tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. We'll have fresh coffee for everybody. We can start this whole thing over again. And most of the Republicans did go home. When they came back the next morning, bingo, hundreds of thousands of votes in each of those big cities had come in during the night and been counted when there is nobody there to watch the counting. That's what I think actually happened. And by the way, that's been in, in all the statistical analysis, you know, that's what's been confirmed. It is those four cities that gave Biden, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Ken, let me ask you this. How important is it that we know the truth on this previous election? Jimmy, 
who is ever going to vote again if they believe their vote doesn't count? And I think this is part of the Democrats' long-term strategy. They want to discourage Republican voters. They want to discourage pro-freedom voters. They want to discourage voters who believe in our constitutional republic. They want us to think our vote doesn't count because it hasn't counted in this election. It has been miscounted. It has been stolen. Every time you put an illegal vote into the mix, you are basically canceling the vote of a legal voter. This is the Democrats' canceled culture writing itself into the very fabric of our democracy. It's a disgrace. It's a horror story, and it's something we must absolutely expose and, and undo and make sure it can never happen again or else you know, we can never have another election in this country. You know, I keep remembering that God's Word tells us in the book of Genesis, chapter 9 and verse 6, He established human government. And I'm absolutely convinced he does not want fraud to take place. He has a plan. He set it in place. It's been working now for 4,500 years since just after the flood. I do believe God wants that plan to continue on. Well, Ken is not only a novelist, a great author, but he has also traveled as a journalist. And just one final thought, as I want to thank the Lord for the opportunity to have a relationship with you, not only personally, but on the radio professionally as well. One of the calls and one of the conversations you and I had as we were able to cover geopolitical events on a weekly basis is when we contacted you on one of those satellite telephones in northern Iraq, and you were there looking at persecution of Christians. That's a major story that uh, we need to be covering today. The media is not doing that, are they, Ken? No, they, and they never have, Jimmy, uh, with very, very rare exceptions. CBN has covered it to a certain extent, but really nobody else. <laughs> I remember that, that afternoon very well. I was with a bunch of Kurdish friends actually going to the border with Iran up into the mountains, those 13,000-foot mountains on the border with Iran. When we got there, you could see the Revolutionary Guard outpost up on the top inside Iran looking down on those Kurdish positions. Uh, I did that in between going around places in the Nineveh Plain with friends from the Iraqi Christian community, the Chaldeans and the Syriacs and the Assyrian Christians who were up there who have been just wiped out, decimated by jihadi terror groups. And unfortunately, all during the U.S. involvement uh, in Iraq, our forces did very, very little to stop it. Well, that's why I just so enjoy having Ken Timmerman on the air with me as a broadcast partner. He knows those locations because he's been there, visited them, and does great research. And he can write a book like The Election Heist prior to the presidential election and basically lay out the the plot that would unfold even in our world today. Ken, I hope and pray that you and your family had a great Thanksgiving. And indeed, we'll look forward to next week when we have another conversation. Thanks so much, Jimmy. We did indeed at our local church. Uh, It was wonderful to be able to gather with friends and uh, fellow worshipers. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to be talking with David Dolan. How did he get to the Middle East? He gives us a Middle East news update every single week. How did the Lord move him to that region of the world? That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore, a special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now, that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man in the message, and Revelation, a chronology. Normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end-of-the-year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com forward slash partners or call us at 8-PROPHECY-8, that's 877-674-3298. And thank you very much. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is a special edition Thanksgiving weekend. And as you were able to tell in my first conversation with Ken Timmerman, we talked about some of his personal activities, his book writing. He's a novelist. He's an international journalist and just a great friend of us here and as well a broadcast partner. Another longtime friend is David Dolan. David gives us his Middle East news update each and every week. David actually started reporting as a journalist about 35 years ago in that region of the world. I want to talk about how David got started. How did you actually come to move to the Middle East, become a journalist? Just give us a quick, brief update on how that all came about. Well, Jimmy, I gave my life to the Lord in early 1974, uh, just before I turned 19, and immediately I had this strong desire to see Israel. I mean, immediately. I told my friends about it, and one went out and bought me a cactus plant because I was in North Idaho. He said, you better get used to desert foliage if you're going to move there. And, uh, well, it took a few years, but in 1980, uh, I heard about a group called Project Kibbutz that was placing teams of young Christians from all over the world on kibbutz settlements in Israel, and I signed up for that. And actually, Jimmy, it's been 38 years now that I've uh, been doing media because I went to work in 1982 
just across the border in South Lebanon at the Voice of Hope Christian radio station. And media was my profession. I went to a professional school studying that in the mid-70s and worked in at Moody Radio in particular and some other radio stations in the States. So I was geared up for that. And one thing led to another. I worked for CBN and later CBS and uh, just stayed and uh, continued to uh, report on what was going on there. Well, and we are so thrilled today that you are a broadcast partner with us right here on Prophecy Today. Your knowledge of the political activities in that region, the Middle East, but your understanding of the prophetic Word of God, great mix as it relates to what you do for us on a weekly basis. Let's just think, for 38 years you've been a journalist in that part of the world. Give me some of the events that you have been able to report on. Basically, you're an historian who is reporting on current events who basically are those historic events that we can look back on. Give us just a couple to tell us what your favorite events that you covered are. Well, I wasn't at the Voice of Hope but two months uh, in 1982 when the first Lebanon war broke out. And like you say, I was literally in the middle of it, uh, driving to work. In fact, one of the first rockets that the PLO, which at that time controlled South Lebanon, fired into Israel, uh, landed just a few hundred feet from my car as I was driving to work and split apart a tree. So I was in the action wearing a flak jacket, wearing a helmet, going through military checkpoints. That was definitely a highlight being up there two years and watching some of the air battles and that. And I've, I've covered all the other wars. Another memorable time was in my sealed room in 1991 when Saddam was threatening to gas half of Israel to death with Scud missiles. And that was my sealed room, my bathroom. And uh, reporting for CBS and getting live uh, shots, I have sound, I should say, of the rockets fired at Israel and that sort of thing. So uh, many other occasions covering the uprisings, covering the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, I mentioned a few weeks ago, and many other things, the elections, meeting Netanyahu for the first time in 1988. I was one of five or six uh, journalists that interviewed him the night he was first elected to the Knesset, telling my colleagues he will be prime minister one day, which certainly happened, and then writing some books there. I've written a couple novels and uh, two uh, History of the Middle East and Current Events books with a little prophecy thrown in and did all that over there as well. So a very special place to live and I'm not living there currently, but I go as frequently as I can. I was supposed to be leading a tour uh, uh, this coming uh, spring, but that got canceled because of COVID. But I do hope to get back there as soon as I can. One of the very interesting historic events in the history of the new young state of Israel, the Jewish state of Israel, was the Six-Day War. It was an amazing war. You weren't there at that time to cover it, but you've seen the results and the establishment of the Jewish settlements. That is a key event in the history of the Jewish people, especially today, and a part of Bible prophecy being fulfilled, and you've covered since that time, have you not? Well, indeed, Jimmy. And another story I didn't mention, but on a more positive note, was an ongoing story in the 90s, and that was, of course, the huge flux of Jews that moved to Israel from the then-crumbled Soviet Union, coming from all over the place, Ukraine as well, and the Soviet satellite states. And I did dozens of stories about their arrival at the airport and their assimilation in the land and 
how life was for them over the years and that sort of thing. And, of course, the Ethiopian Aliyah as well was another highlight, uh, again, knowing, uh, as I did and most of my colleagues did not, that this, this was all prophesied, that the Bible said, I'll bring you back from north, south, east, and west, the four corners of the earth, that's Isaiah 11, bring you back to your land. And I've seen the population triple from just over 3 million to nearly 9 million Jews there today. So those are all miracles. And just every day, as you know, you've lived there, uh, every day you just see the miracle of Bible prophecy being fulfilled because you're literally living in the middle of it. People have asked me, why are you so excited about what's going on in Israel, about the Jewish people, about how prophecy seemingly is coming together? And I say, well, you know, we've lived there for about 29 years, not as long as David Dolan, but we lived there for a long time, Judy and I. And, you know, every time you'd step out of your apartment or condo or wherever you were living, you would see a friend, a Jewish friend, touch their hand. You were actually touching the hand of God, watching Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. One of the reasons I think it's key to have you on the air with us so that you can give us your Middle East news update is that even today, and there are a lot of events, the recent signing of the peace agreements between Israel, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, they're just about ready to sign that agreement. Uh, that is a part of how prophecy is coming better into focus on a daily basis. So to be able to report the political today Watching it, setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled, that's an exciting opportunity for any person at any time, isn't it, David? Oh, absolutely, Jimmy. And you know, and I think most of your listeners will know that the psalm said that when the Lord's favor returned to Jerusalem, in other words, when he was favoring that city again, building it up again, and in the context of Jews being back there and ruling there and living there, that that would be the era that the Lord would return to earth in. So until you see that happening three or four hundred years ago, it, the Lord wasn't coming back because his favor hadn't yet come upon it. But we've seen that in our era, our modern era, and uh, I've been reporting that all these years and looking at the skies because he is coming back, and Israel is the sign of all signs that uh, we're in that time period, and that is thrilling indeed. David, I've been talking to you about being a historian, but let me see if you're a prophet. Let me ask you what you think about the Arab nations coming together, normalizing relationships with the Jewish state of Israel. That seems to be a major point in history and our prophecy, does it not? For that reason, we do look to the skies waiting for the rapture to take place. Well, Jimmy, and we know from the prophets that Egypt would be at peace with Israel in the end, and there would be a peace to the east, to Iraq as well. We've not seen a real peace with Iraq, but there's certainly uh, on America's side in terms of the overall war, and there is a peace treaty with Egypt, has been, well, since the year before I arrived in Israel, so for quite a few years now. So, indeed, biblical prophecy being fulfilled. More states are coming on board. But, as we also know, there's final wars prophesied in Scripture. Turkey's going to come against Israel. Iran's going to come against Israel. Russia is. Uh, Libya, other countries are mentioned in the Scriptures as doing that. So, we know that the conflict is not over until the Lord returns, 
But in the meantime, he continues to build up Zion, and they continue to build up relations with their neighbors. And again, all of this spoken of in the Word. But just the fact that there is an Israel is such a miracle. The odds against uh, this, these people reappearing in their ancient homeland from all over the world and successfully surviving amid such opposition is just miraculous, and the hand of God is so evident, as it was when all those studs were falling in 91, and not one Israeli was killed directly from them. Marvelous, miraculous. And God has promised to protect the Jewish people and then take us Christians out of here before that terrible time of trouble called the tribulation does unfold. Always tell David that never a dull moment when you're covering the Middle East as it relates to political events setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. David, hope you had a great Thanksgiving with your family. Uh, Looking forward to many more conversations down the road until that rapture does take place. Well, it's in his hands, Jimmy, and God bless you and enjoy Florida with your family. Thank you so much, David. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I've got John Rood standing by. He's going to give us a European Union update. That's all ahead on this special edition of Prophecy Today, a Thanksgiving weekend. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to this special edition of Prophecy Today Weekend, a Thanksgiving weekend special. Hope each and every one of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving day, having an opportunity to be able to go before the Lord, giving thanks for all that has happened this last year. Even in the troublesome times, we're able to give thanks. In fact, that's what God's Word says. Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Book of 1 Thessalonians. Well, we're going to continue now with our broadcast partners. This time, we're talking more personally with each of our broadcast partners, wanting to get some of the background for their ministries, how they got involved in what they are doing, and why they participate with us right here on Prophecy Today. We're going to John Rood. John covers the European Union for us. He's actually been living in the European Union for a number of years, over 30 years. And John, as I understand it, you lived there in Brussels, which is the headquarters for the European Union, isn't it? Absolutely. I first uh, went to Brussels in the mid-1980s. I went as a worker for helping a theological seminary. 
the dean picked me up at the airport, and the first thing he said to me was, uh, welcome to Brussels, and there's no computer here called the Beast. (laughs) Well, many people had talked about the Beast. They were referring to Revelation, where the word Beast is used, I believe, some 40 times, and it's referring to the Antichrist. But there was a lot of prophecy teachers that went away from sticking true to what the Word of God has to say and went on speculation and current events unfolding. But as you've looked at the European Union over these years, you've been a part of going into the committee meetings, meeting with some of the leaders, etc. You've been able to recognize, because you're a student of Bible prophecy as well, you've been able to recognize that the European Union may well be the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Would you go along with that statement? Oh, absolutely. You know, after pioneering the church in Brussels, French and English speaking, we quickly had meetings up to 200 people. The uh, diplomatic community and the embassy staff would start to come. Several ambassadors were members of church. And then my interest grew in the European Union, and uh, many doors opened up into the international institutions, began to meet the EU leaders, then started writing as well as teaching. I could give easily 20 reasons exactly stating what you've just said, Jimmy, why today's European Union is the beginning infrastructure of what will eventually be the Antichrist power base, a concentration of ten nations based in Europe. One of the things that I've been looking at very closely, because if the European Union is to be the revived Roman Empire, they, as the old Roman Empire, must have a military. Now, I know NATO plays that role for them today, but uh, the European Union is constantly working on a military project, are they not? They do see themselves as a force in themselves and they appreciate the, the backing of NATO. But the EU military in itself desires to build itself strong for its own purposes. I had contact, of course, with some of the military people and generals. There's a lot of discord between the NATO operations and the EU military operations, which insist on, on being separate. And As we follow in our broadcast, we see, of course, that this is a trend that is probably strengthening. There's a lot of disunion, but the military is something that's always been on the table. John, each and every week I bring you to the broadcast table to talk about the political events unfolding there in the European Union. We look at these political events because that ultimately will set the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled. It's key that we continue to keep a focus on this as we get together each week, isn't it? Absolutely. And, Jimmy, I have to say from uh, many, many years of traveling and teaching on Bible prophecy, EU, etc., and the place of the revived Roman Empire, the focus has always turned on teaching Jesus' soon return. That's the event. And that rapture of the church actually could happen at any moment, maybe even today. John, thank you so much. Hope you and your family had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Appreciate you being available for this Saturday so we could do this Thanksgiving weekend special here on Prophecy Today. We'll get back on track next week for our normal conversations. Thank you so much, good friend. Thank you so much. Let's all look at what the Word says on Thanksgiving. That will be a great encouragement to all. Very important conversation, insightful.
as John Rood talked to us about how he moved into Brussels, Belgium, and has been watching the European Union in anticipation of what John knows prophetically will be the revived Roman Empire. Hope that was of great interest to you. Well, right now, we're going to go to a good friend, longtime friend, and sometimes broadcast partner. We do that on this special edition of Prophecy Today weekend, a Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to bring Paul Blair to the broadcast table. Paul now is a pastor in Edmond, Oklahoma, the Fairview Baptist Church. However, you might have heard of Paul when he was playing football in the NFL with the Chicago Bears. Actually, for a period of time, he made lots of money, I guess, and he decided to go then into the ministry. Recently, as we were producing a DVD documentary, Is the United States in Bible Prophecy, Paul joined us in that production. Paul took us on a tour of the area in New England where the pilgrims landed some 400 years ago. And there they established the Plymouth Plantation in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Paul, it's great to talk with you. Hope that you and your family had a blessed Thanksgiving this last Thursday. Oh, Jimmy, it's always a wonderful time. My favorite time of year, actually, my favorite of the holidays. And, of course, just kicks off, you know, this next month, which is always so much fun. I want to be able to talk to you about that first Thanksgiving in a moment. We'll get to that. But as I understand it, was it not last week that they had the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the pilgrims there at Plymouth, Massachusetts back in 1620 and the beginning of Plymouth Plantation and what we know as our government today. Is it, am I correct on that date? Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the pilgrims, after 66 days, or what we call the pilgrims, you know, largely a group of separatists, a total of 102 passengers crammed on board this small cargo ship, 66 days rocking and rolling across the North Atlantic, they, they spotted land and got to the tip of the Cape on November the 9th. And November the 11th, before they actually began any serious work, after discovering that they were actually had missed their target of landing in Virginia, and as a consequence were really in a state of anarchy and, and knowing that with no governing structure, they, there's no chance they would have had of surviving individually, they drafted the Mayflower Compact on November the 11th, and that actually is the forerunner to our Declaration and Constitution. First time in world history that anything like that had happened, and we can talk about that perhaps in, in a moment, but over the course of the next month, they surveyed the entire Cape, looked for a place that would be ideal, and of course finally settled early in December and started beginning to build a Plymouth plantation there in, in mid-December. Really the first Thanksgiving, the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving, won't be in October of 2021, but this is the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Pilgrims and the starting of the uh, building of Plymouth Plantation right now. Let's talk about that formation of human government here in this new land where the Pilgrims had traveled from Europe to arrive here. You said the Mayflower Compact. It's a prototype of the Constitution of the United States, and they signed that which was putting in place human government based upon biblical principles, was it not, Paul? 
You know, Jimmy, as I've studied, those separatists that were pastored by James Robinson had such a devout understanding of the Jewish foundation of Scripture and really studied it from a Jewish perspective and, quite frankly, came to the right conclusions on everything is quite kind of the way that you and I uh, interpret the Scripture. Probably been very similar to us uh, doctrinally. But what was uh, really different is, you know, for all human history, going back to Nimrod, you'd always had the idea of the king or and the divine right of kings, the, the man that would ascend to the mountaintop to, to commune with the gods and then bring God's message down to man. You know, it was always that top-down rule. And whenever the king spoke, you know, the people were his subjects, and he spoke, and they jumped. And the Church of England was structured much the same way, with King Henry VIII uh, being the first head of the Church of England, and it was top-down direction. And the king actually controlled his subjects through the bishops. In fact, King James, who you know, ruled during the time of the pilgrims, he made that statement. He, his power was really dependent upon the rule of the bishops. But as the Bible had been translated into English, and the Englishmen were able to read it for themselves and see what it actually said, rather than what the bishops were telling them it said, there were a couple of groups of dissenters. One was the Puritans. They sought to stay within the Church of England and attempt to purify the Church from within. The other was what we call the Separatists, and a group of them were the Pilgrims, who said, the Church is so messed up, they're so far away from God, you know, we are going to study the Bible and do it God's way. And they organized local congregations of the people, uh, rare as two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst. And then as the New Testament gives instruction, they were to choose out from among themselves pastors and, and deacons in, in other positions. So they would constitute a church government. Rather than having the bishop establish uh, you know, a parish somewhere, they themselves came together and constituted their own church government and elected their pastor. And it was that exact same style that they crafted. By the way, John Robinson, their pastor, instructed them in all these areas of civil government. They were taught a comprehensive biblical worldview. No such thing as compartmentalizing their faith. But when they got to the New World, they crafted the same thing. And that had never happened in human history. You know, the Magna Carta had been an agreement between you know, the king and the lords of, the, of, of England. Uh, but there had never been a time where equals came together and created their own government, their own rule of law, and then pledged to be subject by that rule of law, recognizing that there was no superior authority or divine right of kings that they would choose out from among themselves their governors to govern righteously. In fact, that's where we got the term election, because in Scripture, the elect were the most holy. So once a year, they would cast a ballot for to elect their governor, who was considered the most trusted man to lead the community. Well, that human government that was established based upon biblical principles brought from Europe and then here to America, that basis for self-government was actually what we are supposed to have today in America, are we not? That's what we have had, and I'm afraid we're on the verge of losing it. As, uh, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence establishes our country on a biblical worldview. You know, when Jefferson made that statement, the laws of nature and nature's God, he was saying the entire justification for the 13 British colonies seceding from King George III's tyranny was that God gave them this right, because the purpose of government was to punish evil and to protect good. 
And whenever any form of government becomes perverted and starts punishing good and protecting evil, then man has a right to throw it off and establish his own government. So America was built on a biblical foundation. And of course, John Adams said that the limited civil government was dependent upon our ability to self-govern and do right, choose to do right. In fact, John Adams made the statement that our Constitution is made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Close quote. And that's where we're at today. You know, now we see our Constitution being shredded because we've got a lot of immoral, deceitful people that will, you know, you know practice the Marxist strategy of the ends justify the means. If we have to lie, cheat, steal, kill, whatever, to be in power, then we'll do it because the ends justify the means. So we have been a great experiment, been exceptional. I, God willing, will we'll keep it until the rapture. <laughs> until the rapture. That's what we're, we're really all looking for, that blessed hope. That's exactly right. <laughs> Let's uh, circle back now to Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving weekend. You said that the first Thanksgiving actually did not come about until 1621, so it'll be next year, the 400th anniversary of Thanksgiving. Talk to us about how that all came together. Well, again, it's really interesting, Jimmy. There were so many miracles. The pilgrims leaving late, having to turn around and start over. Because they left late, they got off course through the storms of the North Atlantic. They wound up landing in Cape Cod rather than down where New York City actually is, which was their original destination. If they had landed where they were supposed to go, they would likely have been wiped out by hostile Indians. Where they landed was a perfect cape, a magnificent location, they surveyed the territory and found 20 acres of cleared land that had previously been planted and used for crops that had four freshwater springs that none of the Indians around it wanted because the Patuxet tribe that had one time lived there died of a plague about three years earlier. So that was literally unclaimed, unwanted land, and the pilgrims considered it a gift from God. They were glad to take it. They managed to get through that first winter, and let me tell you, that was a struggle. As you and I know, being a Christian does not mean being a life of ease. You know, we can be right in the middle of God's will and find ourselves in the fiery furnace or right in the middle of the lion's den. But these guys had a tough winter. Forty-seven of the 102 died. Uh, The very month the Mayflower departed and went back to England as they were just trying to get their feet on the ground, Into their camp walks an English-speaking Indian named Samoset, who brings another English-speaking Indian named Squanto that had lived many of his years in England as a captive, loved Englishmen, and literally took these men and women under his, his wing and taught them how to live in the New World. If it hadn't been for Squanto, which William Bradford called him a gift from God, and I believe he was, they would have never made it. But after that first harvest... And quite frankly, the first Thanksgiving was in October in conjunction with the Feast of Tabernacles, the fall harvest of the Jewish calendar. They got together and were celebrating that harvest and God's provision, and they had uh, about 90 of the Indians locally came and joined them. They had their whole band there, and they feasted. And uh, they didn't have football to watch, but they did sporting events and competed with each other in wrestling and shooting and things of that nature. But they feasted on deer and turkey and and everything you can imagine and and had a wonderful time celebrating that fall harvest in October of 1621. And that was the first Thanksgiving. Folks, that was a great rehearsal of historic fact. 
And, of course, when we're doing a Thanksgiving weekend special here on Prophecy Today, what an appropriate comment or two from Paul Blair, our good friend and broadcast partner with us today. Paul, thank you so very much. This was great insight, a Civics 101 class, but it was great. And our children, all of us, should understand what it's all about. Thank you, my good friend. We'll have another conversation down the road. Jimmy, God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving. What a conversation. I love to hear Paul Blair tell the story of the pilgrims. Paul pastoring, of course, out in Oklahoma, but he knows the history of the pilgrims arriving here in America 400 years ago, and of course, Thanksgiving, the first one in 1621. Hope you enjoyed that insight into the history of how our government came into existence. Now, speaking of our government, there's a good friend that I have. He's an evangelist. He is the co-host on a national radio broadcast, Stand in the Gap Today. He's just a very unbelievable guy. He's capable of being able not only to reach those down and outers in the street, but all the way up into the United States Congress, United States Senate, with the ministry he has. I'm talking about Dave Kessler. And David, talk to me about your ministry. I know it's Hope Ministries International, but tell me what that consists of and just give me a blink into what it's like there on the Hill. We'll just get into that, but tell me what you're doing there. You bet, Dr. Jimmy. It's a delight to be on board. Thank you for having me. Yes, Hope Ministries International is an umbrella ministry that encompasses uh, local church evangelism that we've been involved in for about 36 years, also citywide crusade evangelism. We have a massive, actually three massive tents that we can kind of marry up together, do citywide crusades, accommodate about 4,000 people. And then we also have a men's conference ministry, and then we have the ministry that you're referring to on Capitol Hill called Hope to the Hill. And we actually just go in and uh, try to minister one-on-one with members of Congress, members of the Senate, those that work inside uh, the executive branch, as well as those in the judicial branch as well. Primarily, though, Dr. Jimmy, our focus is the legislative branch, which is Congress, and God's given us a great inroads there. And I will tell you this, during this COVID time, while a lot of people have shut down, uh, ministries have been lessened instead of increased. I will tell you this, our ministry on Capitol Hill has been going 90 miles an hour plus. We have had greater opportunity to develop and cultivate relationships with members of Congress and Senate than we've ever had before. And during this COVID time, we've seen a number of staffers come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and they're now being discipled. So this has been prime time for us on Capitol Hill. Well, praise the Lord for that report. Dave joined me in Washington, D.C. when we were doing the production of my DVD documentary, Is the United States in Bible Prophecy? And David, one of the questions I asked you at that time was what happened as the pilgrims arrived there in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and the establishment of self-government. That's the foundation for our government today, and I ask you at that time, and let me just ask the same question. Is our government today moving ahead with what was established, the biblically principled establishment of human government, self-government there in Plymouth, Massachusetts? Is that going on today or not? Dr. Jimmy, we have moved far afield from what took place there in 1620. 
so they were coming, Jimmy, to propagate the gospel in this new world, and uh, that was God's direct and divine intervention to cause that to happen the way it did, instead of settling in Virginia, settled in Massachusetts. But boy, have we moved far afield from that experiment in self-government since those days. Now, Dr. Jimmy, um, we're a a mere shadow of what uh, the pilgrims intended. Should we not then ask the pastors of this nation, and I know you're involved with the American Pastors Network, actually, you're the president of the North Carolina operation for the American Pastors Network. Should we not exhort our pastors to get back to teaching God's Word, the principles for human government, and challenge them to help America, at least the members in churches, Christians, get involved in living the way God wants us to live? We should, Dr. Jimmy. In fact, it's one of the reasons I love and appreciate you so much. You not only teach the Scriptures from a prophetic standpoint, but you delve into these issues, and you do it in a stellar way. And it's a delight to have you on every two weeks on our radio program. But the answer to your question is a resounding yes. The answer to America's ills, I believe, rests in the pulpits of the United States of America. And if men in the pulpit took their responsibility seriously and preached not only the whole counsel of God, but what the Scripture has to say about the purpose of civil government, which, by the way, is God's idea, then we'd be well on our way to this thing, I believe, seriously turning around in the United States of America. It's got to start not in the White House. It's got to start in the church house. Start in the church house. That's an absolute. Well, let's go back to your ministry, Hope to the Hill. You know, everybody talks about how corrupt politicians are, the members of the United States Congress, the senators from the nation's states, and everything's supposedly so bad in the political arena. Give us a good report, a plus report, about those members of Congress, our senators, our their staff people who do know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's not a... A, a valley of nobodies or dry bones up there, is it? It's a pretty alive with born-again Bible-believing leaders of this nation, is it not? Dr. Jimmy, it is, and this is one of the reasons we take people on tours to D.C. to show them that God is alive and well on Capitol Hill. Most people think it's a God-abandoned city. and I'm not saying there's not corruption and plenty to go around. There always has been. But right now there are more professing Christians on Capitol Hill than perhaps any time in our nation's history other than maybe the founding era. And right now, those that are on the Hill that are that are genuinely born again are aggressively living their faith. And I could start naming names, and I'd leave uh, a a good number of them out, so I'll not not even start. But I will tell you this, it, it has been the last four years, Dr. Jimmy, a time of unprecedented opportunity that God has given us on Capitol Hill. And the things that have taken place within this current administration, the support for Israel, the support for life, the support of national borders, defensible borders, all of those things, religious liberty, all of the things that have taken place under this current administration is a reflection of tremendous Christian influence, tremendous biblical influence, not only in the Congress, but also in the executive branch. Surrounding our president is a host of committed biblical Christians that are giving him sound biblical advice. And so I will say this, Dr. Jimmy, it's been a time unlike any other in the 20-plus years that we've been involved on Capitol Hill. Dave, I know you and your family got together for Thanksgiving. My family meeting with us right here, our son coming in from Texas and one of our grandsons coming in from 
where he's stationed in the Navy in Seattle, having a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I hope and pray you've had a blessed Thanksgiving as well. But would this not be something to thank the Lord about, how your ministry is opening up doors for people there on the hill to have an opportunity to grow daily in the Word of God and then bring others to Jesus Christ? That's something worth thanking God for, isn't it? Dr. Jimmy, it is, and uh, I think you've worded it about as well as it can be said. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand, our God is alive and well. He has his people strategically located for maximum impact of ministry right now. Washington, D.C. is no exception to that. And right now, we are about two things, Dr. Jimmy, evangelism and discipleship. Winning people on Capitol Hill to Jesus Christ and then discipling them in the Word. And we have learned this, if you can touch Capitol Hill... By extension, you literally impact the world because of the influence of those on Capitol Hill literally around the globe. So these are dark days to be sure, but I will tell you this, the light shines the brightest in the darkness. And right now, I know you'll not hear this on CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News anymore, but God is alive and well in Washington, D.C. Oh, praise the Lord for that statement. And by the way, folks, do not forget the exhortation there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Pray for those in higher authority so we will all be able to live a quiet, peaceable, godly life and lead people to Jesus Christ. Dave, thank you so very much. Blessings to your family on this Thanksgiving weekend. And thank you for joining us on the special here on Prophecy Today. I guess I'll see you next Wednesday on the radio. God bless you, Dr. Jimmy. Always a delight, my friend. Well, we're going to have to take a break when we come back. One more broadcast partner. That's David James. And we'll focus on Thanksgiving, that exhortation from the Word of God. It's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today weekend. This is the last half hour of this 90-minute broadcast. Remember, I requested 90 minutes so I could give you my broadcast partners from around the world with great insight usually in current events, but this time we were more personal, and we talked about their background, how they got involved in the ministry of doing Christian journalism. And I want to thank you so very much. Hope and pray that you had a great Thanksgiving with your family. Well, here's the poll question that we have available on my homepage on the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down. Here's the question. Do you really believe that we must give thanks in all things, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, because that is the will of God? Be sure to answer the poll question. You need to have an understanding of what God's Word says about thanksgiving. I want to remind you that I have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. And now we have on video my Prophecy Today intelligence briefings. Go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Prophecy Today. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I will have a weekly conversation every single week for the purpose of looking at an issue confronting the body of Christ 
and we then endeavor to give you a biblical perspective on it. The focus this week, the giving of thanks and being thankful. What does the Bible actually say about it? This is on this special edition of Prophecy Today Weekend, a Thanksgiving weekend. David, I hope you and your family had a great family time together on Thanksgiving and were able to thank the Lord, since that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm sure you did that on Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's always great to get together with family, and it's a great time of year as we head into the Christmas season as well. Yes, it is. Well, we recently received an email from a listener that connects with a discussion that I had with Paul Blair earlier concerning the founding of this country. This email was prompted by a discussion that you and I had a couple of weeks ago when you mentioned that Jesus had not stood up against the Roman Empire in his day. That's right. Here's what this listener had to say in her email. I had a comment on the segment with David James and the election. He stated that Jesus lived in the evil Roman Empire and never contested them. I do understand that, but I was wondering about when the Lord led our forefathers to rebel against Great Britain. And then she goes on to say, while I am not saying all the patriots were believers, God used all kinds of people to win our independence from the king, and we are uniquely different, meaning from other countries, with our constitution and declaration because of the Lord. So, Jimmy, as I thought about her email, a couple of things came to mind. Whether the rebellion against Great Britain was biblical or not, that's actually a pretty hotly debated topic among conservative Christian thinkers, and we don't have time to dive into that very deeply with our limited time today. So the first thing I would say is that many of them did believe they were constrained by biblical principles to obey God rather than men, and so they thought they were justified in the rebellion. And part of this is because almost a century before the pilgrims set sail, King Henry VIII had made the British monarch the head of the Church in England, and so I think a case can be made for the rebellion on those grounds. And and even if they were wrong, we know that God can accomplish His purposes through both the good and bad decisions that the people might make, and we are where we are in history. It is what it is. And many today are struggling with these same questions because of what we're still going through in 2020. How do we respond? How do we think? And you and I have talked about that a lot. David, you're right. I did speak with Paul Blair about the origins, not only of Thanksgiving here in America, but also the founding of our government, a representative republic. So I wanted for us to discuss the matter of giving thanks and being thankful from a biblical perspective. Well, that's certainly one of the most important themes in Scripture, and I would say that being consistently thankful, no matter the circumstances, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. And and I have a saying that I use all the time that I got from my wife, who, who probably got it from another thief, but anyway, the saying is this, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And so the point as it relates to being thankful is that there are those who tend to have a thankful spirit and are always ready to give thanks to both the Lord and to people, no matter what their circumstances are, and it's sort of like joy in that regard. We're not always happy with different situations and circumstances in life, 
but we can have a joyful spirit. And, and people who have joyful spirits are just wonderful to be around. They're always lifting others up rather than dragging people down. And I think the same thing is true of those who have thankful spirits. They're a blessing, and they're thankful for what they have, even if it isn't much by the world's standards and even if they're going through difficult times. And on the other hand, it's difficult to be around those who have a sense of entitlement and are never satisfied with what they have, always wanting more, and enough is never enough. David, in thinking about what the Bible has to say about giving thanks and being thankful, as we often do, uh, let's start with the Old Testament, since that lays a foundation for what we learn in the New Testament. That's right. The first occurrence of Thanksgiving in the Old Testament is in Leviticus chapter 7, where we read this in verses 11 and 12. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer, with a sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. So, Jimmy, thanksgiving is connected with the peace or fellowship offering, which symbolizes a person's desire for fellowship with the Lord. And that word thanksgiving occurs 25 times in the New King James Version, and 21 of those times, it translates the Hebrew word toda. Now, toda is found many times in the Psalms. For example, in Psalm 26, David wrote this, I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving. So there's that word, and tell of all your wondrous works. So, here it's uh, used in the context of praise and worship, and, and making it similar to the usage of another Hebrew word, yada, uh, which is often translated as thanks and often as praise as well. So, for example, in Psalm 18, verse 49, we read this, Therefore I will give thanks, there's that word, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. And so the bottom line, Jimmy, is that the giving of thanks and the idea of praising the Lord are really inseparable, and they're both directly uh, connected with worship. And so it would be impossible to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth apart from being thankful. You just can't worship if you don't have a thankful spirit. Okay, now, David, that was the Old Testament foundation. Let's go to the New Testament. What can you tell us about the Greek words that are translated as thanks and thanksgiving? Are they simply basically synonyms of the Hebrew words? Well, as you would expect, there's some carryover from the Old Testament, that's for sure, and it does lay the foundation, but there does seem to be a little bit of a shift, or at least a development, and so the Hebrew and Greek words aren't completely synonymous. With just a couple of exceptions, the word thanks in our English Bibles translates either a form of the Greek word eucharistio, or the word kadish. Now, our listeners may recognize kadish because that word is often translated as grace, and sometimes it's translated as gift, which is actually how we get the word kadish, charismatic, because of the Pentecostal emphasis 
on the sign gifts. So we use it even in English. And for those who may be familiar with the Roman Catholic Mass, not that we're supporting that in any way, but just to give an idea, the Eucharist is what we would call communion, but it's called Eucharist in Roman Catholicism. And although we understand communion very differently from Catholics, it's from the Greek word for thanks or thanksgiving. And maybe we could think of the Hebrew ideas focusing on the actions associated with being thankful, like offerings as well as praise and worship. And the Greek idea seems to focus on more on what we might call an attitude of gratitude. In other words, being grateful for what someone has done for us, especially thankfulness to God. And of course, that should lead to actions that flow from being thankful. So it should produce actions in how we go about our daily lives and how we treat others. You know, David, I love that statement you just made, an attitude of gratitude. Man, that should be a poster on all of our walls in our homes, our places of business. Well, now let's move more through the New Testament, and I want you to tell us some of the most important examples and or instructions about being thankful that can guide us in our thinking. Well, in the Gospels, the most frequent usage is in connection with giving thanks for a meal, which we often call saying grace today, which I think many families probably do at Thanksgiving, even if they normally don't pray for meals. And and even that's interesting because we don't use grace in that way for any other prayers, which points to the translation of Kadis as thanks, uh, even though in connection with meals in the Gospels, only the verb eucharisteo is used. So the first usage of that word eucharisteo is when uh, Jesus fed the 4,000 in Matthew 15, where we read this. He took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. Now, Paul uses either a form of eucharistia or charis throughout his writings as well, and many times it's when he's expressing his thankfulness to the Lord for fellow believers in the churches. So for example, Romans 1.8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. Uh, another important passage, Jimmy, is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, where Paul speaks about the attitude that we should have when ministering to one another, and he says this, to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, Jimmy, the last mention of thanks in the Bible is in Revelation 11, at the seventh trumpet judgment, when the 24 elders worship the Lord by saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. And that is directly a reflection of the Old Testament idea as well. That Old Testament laid a foundation for the New Testament. I love that phrase, giving thanks for all things. That's very key to our lifestyle. Well, this being the end of Thanksgiving week, and now headed towards the Christmas season at the end of a very difficult year, do you have any thoughts about how we can apply what we've learned about being thankful in our daily lives? 
Well, Jimmy, the first thing I would say is that being thankful is about a choice we make when dealing with the circumstances of life, whether good or bad or easy or difficult. And I would also say that it's a matter of spiritual maturity, as I said earlier, and in that regard, it seems to be tied to joy rather than simply happiness. You know, it doesn't take a lot of spiritual maturity to be thankful when things are going well and we're happy about something. So thinking of Christmas, for example, the youngest, most immature child is happy happy and may say thank you a lot on Christmas morning. It's not nearly as easy to be thankful to go through Christmas on a ventilator in ICU with COVID, and that's going to be the situation for some people, unfortunately, this year. And, and in those cases, we need to remind ourselves that the Lord cares for us and loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we experience the grace of God with every breath we take, and we have the chance to show our thankfulness in what we do for Him and for others in our lives as long as we have life. And being thankful is a heart attitude. It's a way of life. It's a way to express our fellowship and love for people, and it's a way to worship the Lord. David, Tada Rabah. By the way, you told us about Tada, that's the Hebrew for thank you, Rabah, very much. Tada Rabah, that was a great discussion and exhortation for all of us to be more thankful on a daily basis. Well, I hope you and your family had that great Thanksgiving time, and we'll look forward to the Christmas season when we'll have a special program at that time. But between now and then, other issues we'll be discussing together here on Prophecy Today. Tada Rabah, thank you so much, David. Thank you, Jimmy. I look forward to our next discussion. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to open the Bible. Our broadcast partners had some very interesting stories to tell us. We'll see what God's Word exhorts us to do in the days ahead, even if those days may be troublesome times. That's all ahead right here on this special edition of Prophecy Today, a Thanksgiving weekend. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. 
If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, a chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today and this special edition of Prophecy Today, a Thanksgiving weekend for us to take a look at the book. This weekend, we got personal with our broadcast partners and talked with them about how they got into Christian journalism. And then with Pastor Paul Blair, we came to an understanding of the story of the first Thanksgiving. After that, David Kessler talked to us about his ministry in the halls of Congress. By the way, we pray that you and your family had a blessed Thanksgiving altogether. And let me just tell you that if you missed any of the conversations that I had with my broadcast partners, you can go to prophecytoday.com then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can listen to these very interesting conversations. Today on Prophecy Today, I want to give you my prophetic perspective on the conversations with my broadcast partners in light of Thanksgiving. I had Ken Timmerman come to the broadcast table He normally covers the geopolitical world and what's going on there as those current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I thought it was very interesting to find out how Ken wrote his book, Election Heist, actually almost a year before what we see unfolding in America, almost word for word from Ken's fictional book. That was a very interesting report. And then our very personal conversation about when I talked with Ken Timmerman over a satellite phone when he was in northern Iraq, there documenting Christians being persecuted. You know, there's not much reporting on that type of activity around the world. And we must remember that that type of activity, persecution of believers, is coming in the near future. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, that would be the fifth seal judgment, talks about tribulation saints who are going to be under persecution. We can certainly thank the Lord today for the safety that you and I as Christians have where we are. However, let me just ask you to pray for those in parts of this world, Christians that are indeed being persecuted today. David Dolan normally gives us his Middle East news update. I asked David what actually brought him to the Middle East, and in particular Israel, where he has been able to report history and watch prophecy being unfolded. Ezekiel chapter 37, remember, tells us that the Lord will gather the Jews from the four corners of the earth where they were scattered, He will restore them as a nation and then re-energize them. David has reported history and prophecy in the making 
as he has been stationed as a journalist in the Middle East for over 30 years. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us, and indeed for over 30 years John actually lived in Brussels, Belgium, which is the headquarters for the European Union. While there, he was able to watch the European Union becoming the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. I talk to John on a weekly basis as he reports the political events of the European Union as they are setting the stage for the prophetic scenario to be found in God's Word. Paul Blair, pastor in Edmond, Oklahoma, former NFL football player with the Chicago Bears, came to tell us the record account of the pilgrims who came from Europe and started God's plan for human government here in America. They also brought us the first Thanksgiving. You know, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6 reveals God's plan for human government. The pilgrims took that message to heart and developed that human government some 400 years ago, which we see as the operation for the government of the United States of America. And speaking of that government, we talked with Dave Kessler. Dave is an evangelist, has a worldwide ministry, but he also has a ministry to the hill. He reported to us on what's going on up there, and the fact is that they are winning people in the halls of Congress to Jesus Christ and the report that there are many members of the United States Congress that already know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Dave's ministry in the human government of our nation, which the pilgrims brought to America, is interesting and something that you and I should thank the Lord for and pray as they continue to minister to those in higher authority. David James concluded our conversations with my broadcast partners, and he took us into the Old Testament and the New Testament as he explained God's exhortation for all of us to be thankful. God's Word says that we should give thanks in all things. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. But let me remind you of another passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote. It was his swan song, 2 Timothy. And in chapter 3, the first verse talks about the times of the end, the times that it seems we are living in today. There in 2 Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul wrote a sign that would be very prevalent in the times of the end, the times of the rapture of the church. I would say that we are living in those times when there will be people. And chapter 3, verse 2 says they will be unthankful. Unthankfulness is a major sign of the end times and the coming of the rapture. I want you to know unthankfulness is a true sign in our day. Well, we can be thankful indeed about the times in which we're living. All of my reports from my broadcast partners seem to say that we're living in the time of the rapture of the church. Now, that is something to be very thankful for. The rapture, the next event on God's calendar of activities, and that rapture actually could happen 
today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.